0: So there were two movies that came out on Christmas Day. One of them was not the movie that we're discussing. No, nor, it, nor should we. And that movie was called Wonder Woman 1984.
1: The long-anticipated sequel to the smash hit Wonder, Wonder Woman.
0: Woman. <laughs> that came out in 2017, I believe. Yeah, a few years ago. Patty Jenkins killed it. The first Patty Jenkins around. is a great director. Continues She's, to be. She right. still is. In fact, that was the best part about this movie, is how it was directed. But what happened? Okay, we had originally planned to do a whole episode on Wonder Woman 1984, but we only do episodes about things that we think we should spend some time talking about. Things worth talking about? Wonder Woman 1984, although beautiful in many ways, honestly some amazing beauty in this movie. Chris Pine looked good. Some of the best CG I've seen in a long time. Oh, man. And even really good acting. The plot was just... It killed it. It killed the movie. Yeah. It was pretty much an hour of... Diana pining after Chris Pine, no pun intended. Who was, as I
1: understand it, in another man's body.
0: In another man's body. And it was like an hour of her showing him around the 80s. 80s. But it wasn't (laughs) even the actual 80s. It was like... Fake 80s. Fake 80s. And then act two didn't begin until like... The 50 minute mark or something. It was just insane. In fact, I don't even think there could be a delineation between act two and act three and act one. It was rough, man. And then Pedro Pascal, he's amazing. He killed it. He was perfect for the role. But man, (laughs) it was like watching an episode of Power Rangers that Mm. just kept on going with the level of cheese that was in this film. But everything else was really good about it. It was like watching an episode of Power Rangers that had an amazing budget.
1: (laughs) with a modern writing of fire rangers
0: yeah <laughs> it was insane man and like kristen wig who like also did really well if you didn't know her character and you were just coming into this as a fan of gal gadot and you're like oh i like the wonder woman movie i'll i'll give this a try and then all of a sudden kristen wig spoilers turns into a giant cheetah You'd you'd be like what the hell is happening right now <laughs> In real time? <laughs> yeah. She was a cheetah. Yeah. Wow. It's so nuts. And none of the continuity makes sense, as I just said. So what's your score? Would you give it a thumbs up? Thumb if I was side? both Siskel and Ebert I would ask you to <laughs> I know. would give it one thumb up and one thumb down.
1: Okay. Whose is the thumb up? Is it Siskel or is it Ebert? I don't know. I feel like film connoisseurs would roll in their grave if they knew this was what happened to cinema.
0: That's what I, It was such a strange movie because, it, like I said, it was perfectly directed, really well acted, and it was beautiful to behold. There are moments where Wonder Woman is flying in the air just with this amazing score. Mm. And they were like some of the best things I've ever seen in a superhero movie.
1: Just goes to show you it starts in the writing, huh? 100%.
0: And I think they it's were different.
1: Story. It wasn't even the same writing team from what
0: I understand. Oh, man. Again, spoilers for Wonder Woman 1984. There was a magical element to the plot of this movie that enabled everything to happen around them. By Kristen Wiig turning into a cheetah, you're literally creating something out of nothing. It was like half of this movie was filmed with intelligence, and the other half of the movie was filmed with complete inept quality of doing anything. Writing was
1: Chris Pine's character. Was
0: he resolved? <laughs> yeah, or absolved? Yeah. No, that, I mean that was the heart of the film. Anyway, anyway, we're here. We're here to talk about the other movie that came out on Christmas. Yes. Uh, the one, by the way, Wonder Woman on Rotten Tomatoes was considered fresh until until came out. Until it came out, and more critics started reviewing it, and it lost its fresh score and plummeted to like the fifties or something. But Soul got like an almost a hundred. I think it's like a ninety-seven or something. Everyone seems to be enjoying it for the most part. So we're talking about Soul today, the new Pixar Disney film, and it is freaking awesome. It was really good. It, this is Pixar at its best. It's Pixar for adults. Its uh, whole plot and theme is uh, existentialism and really just poking at the questions that we all have that transpire often in our awakening years in our youth on into our teenage years into our adult life and how what is this life all about and what are we doing in it? It's asking those big existential questions.
1: Yeah. It's funny you say for adults because usually Pixar makes movies that the whole family can enjoy. Yeah. But it's it's always typically been centered around a younger audience first. And I think there's stuff thrown in for older people. But I would agree this film feels first and foremost to be written and, and designed for
0: older people. And a lot of it will maybe completely fly over. A younger audience's heads yeah I would say 75% of the film I was thinking about it watching it going can I show this to my kids and I'd have to say no they probably think it looked cool and that it was cute but then there are moments in like the sea of lost souls or whatever yeah where those creatures are <laughs> terrifying and I was scary. also like asking another existential question about what does it mean to be lost yeah <laughs> just intellectually spiritually what does it mean to be lost And, you know, that's not going to connect with kids. I'm surprised, honestly, the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Disney greenlit this movie. Like, I can't believe it got made.
1: I think uh, it's funny looking at Pixar's catalog and all the movies they've made over the last 20 or 30 or 40 years. This one was... Pete Doctor and Kemp Powers. Pete Doctor is the one who's done Inside Out and Up. Some of the Pixar films that have been more yeah. focused on the existential mm-hmm. and and both of those
0: movies are very yeah a little bit more mature and more mature yeah than definitely. the rest of what they've did done. Did he do? He didn't do Wally too, did he? Uh, no, that was someone else. But this is also Pete Doctor's
1: first film, I think, without John Lasseter sort of either co-directing or executive producing being involved. And just to see him flex his muscles like that with such a developed story, I think, was really cool. And I I hope this is indicative of maybe the future where they can keep, maybe not risk taking, but developing stories that are really thought-provoking,
0: like you said. John Lasseter, that guy started Pixar. I've seen that Pixar documentary. So
1: we follow a man, a jazz musician, who is currently teaching middle school in New York City. Mm -hmm. So we follow musician Joe as he's in his probably late 30s, early 40s approaching his midlife existential crisis as he hasn't really achieved what he thought was his dream and he hasn't gotten what he would say is his shot to make it in the universe to find Mm -hmm. his purpose and so we take up with him pretty quick when he finally gets another gig that could be his chance of a lifetime to perform with an already accomplished musician who, by the way, a lot of this reminded me of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, Just being a film that uses music as its vehicle, that's the word. And he gets his shot and he nails it and he's about to achieve what he thinks is the big time. And then he falls into a manhole and dies (laughs) (laughs) as he's running down the street being happy. Not paying attention. And he is immediately transported to this sort of cosmic, like a bridge in the astral sea. Yeah. If you have any knowledge of the cosmic sort of transcendentalism, I don't know. But he's about to phase out into the great beyond, which is like... Which
0: literally a a bug zapper. Yeah, it's like
1: they're they're zapping (laughs) incredible
0: little... I thought that was hilarious.
1: Yeah, the movie's littered with moments like that where it's just... It's like
0: such a a perfect little piece of comedy. It's almost terrifying at the same time. Yeah. Because if you're looking at it going... You know, you're anticipating the Great Beyond. If you're not paying attention and it sounds and looks like a bug zapper, you would be really scared of it if you were aware, you know.
1: And it was so sudden for Joe, his quote-unquote passing, that he's absolutely terrified of what's happening. And he, he starts running backwards in line and he stumbles, after falling through the astral sea, into this place where souls are created, the Great Before. This whole space between spaces idea is that they're getting souls ready to be born on earth and i guess throughout the universe because earth seems to be just one of the destinations for these souls Mm. i think that's implied i didn't catch that i think that was what was implied anyway this this place is used to create and inspire souls and joe sort of ends up through a whole host of shenanigans sort of falling in step with this one particular soul who has been around since almost the beginning of time and has never been inspired
0: to be sent to Earth. This was soul number 22.
1: Yeah, number 22 of of billions or even maybe trillions of beings that were generated to be born. But this one, it's funny, they have this little bit where he's like, you sound like a middle-aged white lady. It's voiced by Tina Fey. And she's like, yeah, I just chose this voice because it's annoying. (laughs) So they become sort of wrapped up in this plot to give Joe 22 shot at being born so he can go back to his life and, you know, not be dead because he's about to start living his life in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And so they go about trying to do that. And they're accidentally thrown back into Joe's body. Only 22 gets to inhabit Joe's body and Joe gets to inhabit the body of a cat that was there as a (laughs) therapy animal in the hospital he was transported (laughs) to. That's where the kids sort of have a good time. I think kids that are watching the movie, they're like, Oh, it's the cat and the man doing their buddy film sort of thing. Yeah. And then through this process of them trying to get back to their original forms, 22 gets to find out what her spark, and that's the idea in the film of what is originally thought to be one's purpose, but what they find out throughout the course of the film is life isn't about finding your purpose, it's just about being ready to start living and enjoying everything, every moment over the course of your life, just sort of living in the moment
0: and cherishing those moments. At least that was the takeaway. Which is, a no, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Those specific themes about in the language that they used uh, spark purpose enjoyment of like living and stuff yeah i'm still trying to kind of grasp what that meant for the film and also what it means for my own life because this movie makes you think and i think that's one of the biggest takeaways from this film when you watch it you will be challenged i think
1: yeah Despite where you are in your life, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But especially for those that have felt unfulfilled (laughs)
0: up to this point. Which, I mean, I think we all can relate to. Yeah. And so it can be quite challenging, but it's, it's done in a really beautiful way where it's not shoving it down your throat or saying this is this specific kind of religion or a specific kind of spirituality that you need to follow. It's more about what caters to by like the english definition would be called the soul or what some of us would call having a soul or what it means to be human and it kind of tries to answer that question but not in a way that you might suspect and they were really playing with a lot of questions and answers here that they were intentionally ambiguous about i think which was really smart you know and the lack of clarity really made me think. And it still has me thinking, I think I need to watch it again, because it could have been like an auteur film in a way, like art film with how little it actually answered. And it really leaves you wondering, wow, I really need to rethink my life. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you mentioned ambiguity, because even
1: in the art, all the time they spend in the great before, there is an aspect of the artistry that is undefined. Like everything seems sort of towards the outer parts of the frame out of focus. And I feel like to further your point, there are moments in the film that kind of drive the point home that there isn't like one answer to this problem of what is it to be alive? What is right. it to find fulfillment? Yeah. One of my favorite interactions is when he's getting his haircut in a barber shop, Joe and 22 as Kat and Joe. And they're talking to the barber and he's like, yeah, this isn't what I had even originally intended to be. And it really still isn't even what I would consider to be my purpose in life. Right. But this is how I find fulfillment, and this is how I find joy. And I love doing what I do, even though it's never, and even to this day, what I would have thought I would have ended up as.
0: It was also really cool how they really challenge the ideas of a perspective of how one human might look at another human and go, wow, that person was meant to do that. They're so good at this and they're, yeah. they're so fantastic or they must feel this way or think this way and how we as people constantly, you could say the word judge or we're constantly assuming things of people around us. Yeah. And then this movie kind of takes that and flips it and tries to break those presumptions. And I thought that that was just sort of another really cool element to the movie. Absolutely. Try to
1: walk through life like a child, both without judgment, like you said, and also to enjoy things that you have taken for granted, both aspects of the natural world and the people around you. I think one of those moments later on in the film, like the crux of it, is when Joe's still figuring out he's trying to get back to his body, but 22 is slowly discovering through her journeys, that everything she thought she knew about Earth and about finding your purpose, kind of like what they tell you in real life growing up and about having a plan and about trying to figure things out before you, you know, are a certain age or else you're screwed. Right. She's learning life's not about any of that. It's just about those tiny moments, every moment, really. And she, over the course of the film, is doing different stuff like eating a bagel or, you know, hearing a song or watching... A leaf. A leaf, yeah, the leaf kind of spinning down into her hand, sitting on the side of a curb in New York city. And then that's, that's a beautiful moment for her. And she's figuring out even just walking down the city street is something that you can find joy in.
0: Yeah. And, and that's life. That's what living is. It is. And also very intentionally, I think the idea of finding enjoyment in every moment and being present in every moment, instead of sort of striving for this unreachable goal that you may never attain is also the same thing that I think many religions and spiritual paths would take or would tell a person to try to understand. I think every good spiritual leader would say the same thing.
1: And that's where we have
0: one of my favorite characters come into the
1: picture, which was Moonwind, voiced by Graham Norton. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, he was, he was Graham Norton? Yeah, it was All Graham right, Norton.
1: He he was incredible. He's one of the people that you just mentioned that have sort of achieved enlightenment, and it's a very few people, you know, in any generation yeah, But he he's not even someone you would expect in real life to be able to have done that. He's a sign spinner on a street corner. But in the astral sea, in this cosmic space, he is able to help people sort of refine themselves in these moments of meditation, which is the positive side that they sort of explore when you're in the zone, they call it, when you're jazzing and just... You're in the flow of mm-hmm. whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. enjoying sort of being alive, kind of dabbling in that enlightenment. But then also when that goes too far, they sort of explore addiction and anxiety on the other end when you fall too far into that dark space. There's this incredible moment, too, where Moonwind and his team, along with Joe and 22 in this astral sea, are sailing on this ship And Moonwin's whole purpose is, or what he's made his purpose in this place, is to find those people that have strayed too far into the darkness of their own mind and lost themselves in real life to addiction and anxiety and sort of pull them back and give them a moment of clarity where they can reclaim their life. Right. And he does this to a hedge fund manager in the film who is so encumbered in his life up to that point that his representation in this cosmic space is this, you mentioned it before, it's like a monster. Yeah. It's what was originally this cute little soul that's been caked in layers of mud and and dirt. Black. Yeah, this black Icarus goo. Yeah. And then Moonwind and his people sort of rope him out of it, and he's able to snap back to his body in real life and and think to himself, wait, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Sitting here at this computer, droning away, Mm -hmm. absolutely losing myself. And then he comes to life and sort of runs out of the building, exclaiming, I'm alive, I'm free, and I'm going to start living now. Pretty inspiring little. Yeah. That's that's one of those things I think it goes to show that everybody can relate to this. Yeah. Yeah. In some way. Wherever you are on the spectrum, regardless of station or class culture or whatever. 100%. I think you're right. I think this will be one for the ages and sort of in many ways
0: can be the benchmark for Pixar moving forward. Yeah. And I hope Disney takes note of the success and the reaction from fans. And, you know, you have new Disney fans and also aged Disney fans who are watching this and really responding to it positively. And I hope Disney is just like, yeah, we should make more of these kinds of films that can be more appreciated by adults, just as well as kids and have these large themes of life and death and I think Disney has always been at its best. You know, if you think about like the Lion King, it also has those grandiose ideas of, you know, those themes of life and death and yeah, father and son and generational trauma and all that stuff. Yeah. It has a message. Yeah. But really what I'm saying is that the themes of, or that adults can relate to. And the kids can grow into as well. Yeah. But also like there's an audience there is what I'm trying to say. There's an audience yeah. for adults who still want to enjoy like a really good film film that, you know, also looks really good. And that's the other thing about this movie. Like, it looks really, really good.
1: It is. It is definitely the best-looking Pixar film. There were shots of New York City that looked photorealistic. I thought, yeah. (laughs) They they
0: could have just been.
1: While also balancing, like, the great Beyond stuff, which looked just as good, but in a very experimental and sort of abstract way. Yeah. Like, when he's falling through... What could have been the tesseract, you know, from Interstellar? Oh yeah, and he's just zapping in and out of that was crazy different styles. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was
0: insane. Yeah, that I was like, oh my gosh, this is Pixar, like this is a Disney film. And I the was design, really
1: the design too. I think you mentioned Jerry or Terry or someone. The design of those beings that were sort of monitoring, one-dimensional. Yeah, they were one-dimensional, but they were fully like modular, and they were just yeah. twisting in and out. And when when that one that was sort of looking for Joe comes to earth and he's becoming and unbecoming parts of New York City like a street rail yeah. or a light is really cool to watch. Yeah. All the voice acting
0: on that note, was incredible, by the way. And the animation.
1: Yeah, the animation, every part of the film. Top notch. The music, the score by Trent
0: Reznor and Atticus Ross, once again, flexing their muscles on us. That was crazy. And then all the jazz music was by John Batiste. Yep. Who uh, we've sort of worked with here at this company, the company that we work at.
1: They took a lot of John, I think, for... Joe as inspiration. Although John Baptiste is already much more successful, I think, than Joe was in the film at yeah, the time. Yeah. But his music added so much to the film. Yeah, the exploration of jazz just specifically in this film is incredible. There's we talked about earlier in the film where Joe is playing with Dorothea, who's in this film, an already accomplished musician playing at a club. And the way they're going back and forth and just sort of riffing off each other, it feels It's not only really well done, but it just feels natural.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing, you know, I also really liked about the movie, I should say, is that like the whole problem that they set up from the beginning of the film was for Joe to get back to his body so that he could play at this concert. That was the problem that they were trying to solve throughout the whole movie. But when you got to that point, they had introduced so many other things that it didn't leave you as satisfied as you would have hoped. And that was exactly what they were aiming for. And I thought that that was genius Yeah, because it wasn't just, oh, it's a normal movie. You set up the problem, you have a hard time solving the problem, and then the problem is solved. It was instead of the problem being solved, the characters get what they want in the end, but then it leaves you asking the same question that the movie's themes are also asking, which is what was all of this for and what am I supposed to do with it now? That kind of thing. Yeah, And I thought that was absolutely genius.
1: That moment and then the hours following that moment for Joe, it's when he clicks that it wasn't finding your purpose that was your spark. And it zooms out
0: yeah. into the Milky Way galaxy, mm-hmm. which was awesome.
1: And he has this flashback moments because he goes home and he's trying to wrestle with that fact that his life didn't change after he achieved what he thought would have changed his life. And then he has those flashback moments where he revisits memories from earlier in his life that we actually see briefly earlier in the film. Yeah. Little moments scattered across his time on earth, like having a piece of pie at the diner. Mm -hmm. And earlier in the film, he sees those as failures, and he says, my life is meaningless. And now he's revisiting it after this moment of clarity, and he's discovering that those were all the moments that made life beautiful. And then that's when he discovers what life was really about, which was just enjoying those moments and that, Now he can be ready to live because he's free of, like, constantly trying to achieve something that was beyond his grasp. And he goes to save 22, who's cast back into her dark spot. And she gets to
0: discover that as well. She is also, at that point, a lost soul.
1: Yeah, the the resolution with her character probably hit me harder than anything else in the film. Because what that character does, sort of keeping herself down, like, before even being born... Because she's she doesn't believe she's good enough. She says to herself, you know, through other characters, sort of berating her that she's encountered over her thousands of years, uh, like, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. If I could just, the one line I remember the most is she's like, if I could just check this one last box, then mm-hmm. that would be it. And everyone's always chasing that last notch where they think, oh, if I could just do this, if I could just be this, then everything would work out for me. Even if that's true, which is, it's usually not true. Uh, that's not what life is about anyway. And That thing won't even bring you happiness. Yeah. And then she's able to discover that Joe rescues her from that place and they're able to finally start living. Looked like she was going to be born somewhere in Asia, which is cool. It's funny because she probably won't even remember. I guess the idea is these souls are born without memories of their time in the great before, right? Yeah. But she'll still be that person to some degree when she's born. And that's kind of
0: exciting. I wish we could have another film. I thought that they were, because they had said that time is not a thing. Yeah. I thought that they were going to make her the trombone player and they're going to like do like a whole twist. Oh yeah. Twist ending. Connie. Yeah. That she would have been the trombone player from his, his class, his junior high class that he was teaching. That'd be crazy. Maybe.
1: I mean, they could have done it. That's sort of the abruptness of, we don't really get to see what happens afterwards. Yeah. Kind of like you said, it drives it home. This isn't what the story was about anyway. Yeah. It's like the meme, like, Oh, maybe the life was really all the friends we made along the way. <laughs>
0: Maybe that was the joy. Maybe that is the joy. I know that I enjoy my time here with you, Gabriel. Oh, shucks.
1: Oh, shucks. You flatter me so. This film really surprised me, and I'm glad we got a chance to see it. I'm glad you texted me to say it was amazing. This is one of those films, I think, that kind of rattled me a little bit, and I'm glad. That's good. I feel like everyone should check it out.
0: So with that being said, we'll play this little number from the movie Soul. Little ditty. It'll be John Batiste or... Or Trent and Naticus. Trent Naticus. You
1: should play one of each because they're like half the scores from each of them, so... That's
0: true. I'll let Gabe pick the songs. Oh, no. shucks.